0: Why don't you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We clicked over to the year 2020. Something significant shifted spiritually. And in fact, something shifted significantly in a number of areas, but one particular area is in the area of finance. And uh, I have this conviction that every single person that is a born-again believer is called by God to be a reservoir for finances in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Because the Bible says that we are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. And one of the blessings of Abraham was, the Bible said that when he was old, the Lord had blessed him in all things, and that he was extremely wealthy. And he was a blessing to those around him. He was a resource. So when his Nephew was caught and trapped. Abraham had the resources to free him. There are people around you in this next season that are going to be caught and trapped, and God wants to give you the resources to free them from their captivity, both spiritually, whether it's sickness, addiction to sin, financial problems. God wants to make you an amazing reservoir for his flow to go through. Any Christian that looks me in the eye and says, I don't need more money, I don't want money, I don't have a gift to make money, inside I just want to, in love of course, slap. (laughs) Because you don't realise what you're saying, you don't realise why Jesus died on the cross. And we've been talking about being redeemed, firstly from sin, and then sickness, and then poverty. These are the three particular areas that Jesus died for you and I to redeem us from sin, sickness, and poverty. And that, that amazing price that Jesus paid that Jen referred to this, uh, this morning was with this in mind that you would be redeemed completely from any sign or trace of poverty in your life. Yeah. And if there's any sign of poverty, stress over money, Addiction to money, the inability to give without being fearful. So you can have money today and still be in poverty. If there's no freedom of flow in your life for money to come in and to come out, if there's not a supernatural flow of money in your life, if your increase is based on how hard you work and the toil of your hands, you don't understand nor have you received in fullness the blessing of the Lord. Jesus redeemed you from the scourge of poverty, amen, Amen. and I've sensed in my heart, even the start of this year, there has come a supernatural acceleration in the realm of finances, there is an exponential increase of finances, where we're able to make more in a day than we could make previously in a year. You say, is that possible? Absolutely. And what I'm going to share with you today is not so much on how to make money or money in in the kingdom. We've talked a lot about that, but I want to primarily focus on your mindset when it comes to blessing and poverty. That's the area. So what I'm going to share today, in fact, can be used in many aspects in your life. Money, overcoming sickness, whatever area it is, a lot of the things I'm going to tackle today is about the adjustment of your mindset. Because this is what I discovered. When God changed my mind, I got an upgrade in my finances. When God changed my mind, I began to see sickness and health in a whole new way. When God changed my mind, I got victory over sin. It's all about your mind. It is a mind shift adjustment. So when it comes to finances, it's not about how clever you are. Because some of the most clever people are broke. It's not about that. There, there is a, a law of attraction. There is, there is an anointing that you come into where you see opportunities that nobody else sees. And you're positioned for increase. I want to say to you today and hear my heart, I've been poor. I was raised in poverty. But relatively speaking, I've been poor and I've been rich and which is better. I've been poor, and I know there's a way out of poverty. You were never designed to live week to week. You're never designed to wake up worried and anxious about your money. Because if you're worried and anxious about your money, you can't fulfill your assignment. And the thing that happened to Adam and Eve in the garden is when they were expelled from the garden, instead of being focused on the assignment that God gave them in the garden, their sole focus now was how do we survive? How do we get enough food to get through another day that's not God's will for your life. Okay, so with that in mind, let's read Galatians 3.13. And I'm praying, Lord, give every person here today an upgrade in the way they think. If you're here today, uh, can I say kindly, if you think you've got it all down pat when it comes to your money, when it comes to your mindset, then I've got news for you. You need an upgrade in the way you think. And there's some people that come into the house of God and there's already a wall up. You've got nothing to teach me. I can't learn. I've got it all figured out. See, the Bible says we approach the word of God with humility. Let us with humility receive the engrafted word which is able to save our soul. If you think you've got nothing to learn, guess what? You're going to learn nothing today. But if you come with a hungry heart, God is going to touch you and transform you today amen Amen. so Lord we release the spirit of revelation in this place in Jesus name Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law he became a curse for us did you hear that Jesus became a curse for you cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree which he did we've talked about the concept of that because it's going back to the garden when Adam and Eve chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the tree of independent living, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That's you. Jesus was, he was nailed on the cross and became a curse so that, say with me, so that, so that you today, would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, that you would enter into a realm of unending blessing. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And if you hang on to poverty, if you hang on to small-mindedness, if you say that I don't believe that Jesus wants me to be wealthy, then you are despising the work of the cross in the same manner as you might say, well, I believe it's okay to be sick or I believe it's okay to live in sin. All those were dealt with at the cross, Fully paid for, so you would live in freedom. Amen. Amen? All right. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor. That through his poverty, we would become rich. And that's both in a spiritual sense and in a physical sense. Jesus became what we were so we could become what he is. Now, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 3, and we're going to go somewhere today. Genesis 3, 17. God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake. I want you to notice something here today. God didn't curse the world. Adam's behavior allowed the curse to come in. There's no cursing God. There's no poverty in God. There's no sickness in God. And and the Lord said to Adam, In toil... You shall eat all the days of your life. This is what the curse does. When Adam disobeyed God, the curse came into the world. And he said, because of that, you're going to have to work with toil all the days of your life. You have to get up and sweat and go home. Clock in, clock off. All the days of your life, there will be toil and sweat. And he says, both thorns and thistles, it will bring forth to you. Interesting. And in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. You have to work hard every day. You're going to sweat, toil. And when you work the ground, up out of that ground will come thorns and thistles. Those thorns are a picture to us of what the curse does. It brings in toil, sweat and deception about money. Isn't it interesting that in Matthew 13, the Bible says the one who received the seed... That fell amongst the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word and make it unfruitful. Yeah. Are you getting this? Yeah. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's a picture. The thorns is a picture of worry and deceitfulness about riches. The deceitfulness about riches if, is if I hold it all to myself, I'll get more. If I give to somebody else, I'll have less. If I work hard by the sweat of my brow long enough, then one day I'll be secure and I'll be able to retire. Let me tell you, my friend, we are about to enter into a season of untold shakings in the finance world. You mark my words. And it's the people of God who know how to function in his system that shall be an answer to the world's problem. Sad to say there will be many Christians, and this is not a prophecy, this is reality, that refuse to do it God's way, who will be caught up in the same pain and turmoil that's about to come upon the earth. Jesus died to redeem us from the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of this life and the curse of poverty. The Bible says on the cross, Matthew 27, that they got a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. Okay, this is this is where this is the thorn, this is the cursed way of living. It's all about what goes on in our head. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, something shifted in the way they began to perceive God and themselves and how to progress in life. And so on the cross, Jesus takes those thorns that are a picture of poverty and toil and sweat. And he, that, that thorn is placed upon his head, the crown of thorns. And on the cross, he paid the price. Blood came out of those, the place where the thorns hit his head and flowed freely to break you from this cursed way of thinking and your approach to finances in your life. you can to understand, this was a big deal to Jesus. The crown of thorns was a painful thing that was pushed into his head. And his blood flowed so that you would have a total upgrade in the way you think. And there's a tragedy in the church that so many, not here of course, but so many believers have such small thinking when it comes to God's blessing and prosperity in their life. They hold on to their money so tight. And when the offering comes, you can hear this squirming inside. When there's an opportunity to bless someone, they go out for, for dinner. They're all looking for who else can pay. Their hands are stuck in their pockets. The meanest, meanest believers... But Jesus at the cross delivered you from that stinking way of thinking come where on. we're coming to the kingdom where it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Oh. Yeah. Good word. We hang on to our money so tightly. We hang on to this concept that I'm in control of my life and it's from the pit of hell. And if you would just allow God today to upgrade the way you think, there will come a flow that's much greater than you could ever do in yourself. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm, I know this by experience. I have to learn how to step into a flow that is much greater than that which I get in my hand. What I get as a pay packet is a seed to sow both to to enlarge my investments and also it's a seed to sow to others and into the kingdom. Yeah. It is not my source of wealth. I'm not relying on my pay packet or my super to get my, me by in life. I'm relying on stepping in to the redeemed way of thinking, which opens up unlimited amount of wealth in the kingdom. They put a crown of thorns in his head, but isn't it interesting? Hebrews 2.9 says, And now we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. He became a curse for us and he died on the cross, but he's not wearing that crown of thorns in heaven. He's now crowned with glory and honor. He tasted death for each and every one of us. So we wouldn't have to think like that. He tasted what it was to live a cursed life, worried about money, striving, not knowing how to get the breakthrough. And many believers are hearing my voice both here and on live stream, YouTube. You are stuck in a pattern of not being able to break through. Jesus died on the cross so you could know how to break through in your finances. Amen? Amen? And once you're free... So that parable of, in Mark chapter, sorry Matthew chapter 13, once you're free, you come into a realm not of thorns and thistles, but good ground, which is redeemed thinking, where there's 30, 60, and 100 fold. What, what God is saying, there is a flow that is so supernatural. God has spoken to me and said, I'm about to exceed your wildest expectations. And I think to myself, i got some good expectations. Yeah. You must be pretty good. Yes, Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's. Who owns the earth? The Lord. the Lord. Not the devil. The Lord. He made everything. This is all God's. Everything around you belongs to the Lord. The enemy is the God of this world, which means he has access to the minds or the gates of everyone that doesn't walk in the kingdom. But he doesn't own the world. Everything about this world, all the land, all the resources, God made and he owns. He's never given it to man. He he owns it. He's given man the right to operate on the world, but God still owns it. It's like renting out a house. You can live in the house. You have jurisdiction over the house while you're there, but it's still my home. I call the shots. For the Lord founded the earth upon the seas. That's a strange term, isn't it? How do you found the earth upon, or the world upon the sea? Have you seen any of the world found upon the sea? No. So, so what's he saying? For he found, for the the earth is the Lord's, and he founded the world upon the sea. The sea in the Bible is often a picture of chaos. And humanity, so God has founded the earth, created the earth, and then he founds or establishes his world upon the chaos that is here on earth. So there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of mismanagement of finances and, and people operating outside the kingdom. And God says, all this world belongs to me, and I'm, I, I establish my kingdom upon the chaos of this world. And how does God do that? Verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Yes? Have you got that scripture? And be lifted up your everlasting doors and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle. As you read this scripture, it's a picture of our minds. He says, this is my world. There's a lot of chaos. I'm about to establish my kingdom on the chaos. And the way I do it is my people have an opening of their gates or their minds. And as their minds are renewed, it gives an entrance for the King of glory to come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts or the Lord of the angel army. That as our minds are redeemed, it gives an avenue for the for the Lord to come through our minds with all the angels of heaven. And they come through our redeemed minds and they begin to establish through our minds, our thinking, the kingdom of God on earth. That's how it works. So I've got a whole host of angels that are going before me. And I feel at times being led to do this or to do that or an opportunity. Something will come that I, that I couldn't get in my own natural way. That's because God is now flowing through the gates of my life. They're not shut, but they're open wide. And God is establishing His kingdom through my life. It's only beginning. But there's so much chaos around me and around you in this world. But God is looking for men and women that would just believe. Open up their gates and say, God, if no one else believes, I believe that you can bring through me billions of dollars to change the world. That you can use me to be an influence in this city. Open up your gates. It's called the new creation mindset. Do you remember when I told you the story about Herodotus' daughter, that she danced before the king and the king was, King Herod was so pleased he offered her half the kingdom. Do you remember me telling you about that story? It's, it's staggering to think one little dance, one barn scooting, you know. <laughs> I don't know what she did, but it was a doozy of a dance. And, it, you know, he, he obviously had a few too many. And he says, I'm going to give you up to half of my kingdom. Hick. And so she goes back to the mum and says, look, you know, King Herod offered me half the kingdom. What part will we take? What palace will we own? You think about it. This is the king saying, up to half of my kingdom. It's astonishing for one dance. We, we gloss over these things. But do you think about Bill Gates saying, you, know, you come to see him and you dance before Bill and he goes, oh, I like that. You can have half, up to half my, my wealth. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. This was a big king with lots of wealth and influence. She goes back to the mum and she says, ask for John's head on a platter. It's, it's like, it, it's bizarre. John's head is equal in value to half of Herod's kingdom. That's how much the enemy fears the mind of the redeemed believer. We have the mental capacity to think like God and you, you don't underestimate the value and the influence and the power of one man, one woman, one young person who begins to think the thoughts of God that says, God, go for it. Dream as big as you want. Show me what you want. They're a threat to the devil. The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. So every single person here has more capacity, more anointing, more favor, more opportunities, more access than John ever had. Right. The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's head was so valuable that it was traded for half the kingdom. You have the mind of Christ. You think the thoughts of God. You've got to understand this. It, it's 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 about an upgrade in the way you think. It's not about how clever you are. Are you getting this? Yeah. It's, I, I wish I could articulate it better. It's, it's just saying, God, I give you my mind. Upgrade it. Show me the way you think. The renewed mind is the principle, the key principle for our ability to bless the world. I've said this to you before, but it's worth saying again. If my mind is too small to receive the things that God has for my life, I'm going to sabotage it and abort his plans for my world. God comes looking to put his thoughts on my mind. And so often I'm not equipped to take the weight of the thoughts that he has for me. So I, I unknowingly pull back his thoughts back to the level of my current capacity. Are you getting this? So if your mind is a two out of a 10 and God comes with a nine out of a 10 and he can't squeeze it through and so what we do is God comes with this amazing thought. I'm going to do X, Y, Z and by the time we've taken that thought and dialed it down and questioned it and and managed it and put it through a religious sieve and and (laughs) talked to our friends and, and all these things, what was once great is now tiny and small. And I told you that story. It's like the plane and the runway, that God's got this massive plane full of all these goods and, and ideas, and he's trying to land it on a, on a runway built for a Cessna. And he's got this massive jumbo jet. And we've created a runway that God can't land on because our thoughts are way too small. And I rebuke in this place any thought that is small in God. Amen? Amen. God's never going to reduce his mind. Lord, just just, just, just hang, on, hang on a bit. Let, let's just start here. God saying, no, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And that's sad because that's an old covenant scripture, but that's a reality for many new covenant believers. We have the mind of Christ. We shouldn't be saying, well, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We, we only say that because we refuse to allow him to think through us. Again, I talked to you before about the success equation that a lot of Christians don't understand how important the redeemed mind is. Do you remember I spoke to you a number of years ago from 2 Kings 4 about the woman with the oil and the jar? The oil is, is a picture of God's desire to want to pour out His favour in us. Now this is not a trick question, but how many people... How many who can hear my voice believe that God wants to bless them? He wants to pour out his oil, favor, blessing. Every day, he just wants to pour it out. And we know the issue with this woman, it wasn't an issue of the oil. It was an issue of capacity, of the jars. When the jars stopped coming, the oil stopped Flowing, so we say, God, what are you doing? Where's the favor? Where's the the blessing? Where is it in my life? And it's never an issue of favor; it's always an issue of capacity. And so we have this bucket. Remember, I have talked to you again about the bucket with holes in the bucket. I'm not worthy to have a new car. You know, what? How could you know that would be a waste of money? Because there's people dying in Africa. That's true. There are. But whether you have a new car or not, it's not going to stop that. And here's the issue, is that you've got to believe that God can do both. He can give you a new car and he can flow so much money through you that he can bless those that, that need to be blessed. So we need to understand that, that God's, not, God's not giving you a pie to divide up and you've got this much money and once it's all gone, that's it. Remember, I've told you God owns a pie making factory. And so, once the pie gets extinguished, He'll give her another pie. He is the unending God. Remember the loaves and the fishes? They all ate till they were full. And I, what a wicked waste. There's nothing left for the boy. No, there was baskets left over. God's showing that He is the God of more than enough. If He doesn't have it, He'll create it. That's who He is. So, we have to have an adjustment. God is big enough to bless you and meet all your needs and cause you to be such a blessing to meet everyone else's needs around you. It's not one or the other. It's both. That's the kingdom. And so we need to patch these holes up in our bucket of worthiness. I am worthy because I am his son to receive his blessing. If your children behave like you behave with the Lord, you'd be horrified. And I want to give my kid money for a, a new pair of Nike runners. Oh, no, Dad, I'm not worthy. No, 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 I'm sorry. You know, last night I didn't make my bed and I think I need to, I need to travail a bit more. I need to see it. And it's like, what do you want, son? I just want to buy you some, a pair of shoes i got lots of money and I want to bless you. That's how God feels about us. He's like, he wants to bless us. He wants to use us. He wants to flow through us. It's called the renewed mind. And a lot of religious nonsense comes into our psyche and it corrupts us and puts holes in our bucket. And God's trying to pour out his blessing and our unrenewed mindset is causing leaks in our bucket. And then at the end of the day, we put our finger at God and say, I thought you wanted to bless me. And God said, I'm pouring as fast as I can. Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds have a nest, but the son of man has nowhere to rest his head. Isn't that sad? Was Jesus talking about he's looking for somewhere to sleep? Like, you know, all the the hotels are full and I've got nowhere to rest my head. No, no, no. I think what he's saying, I've got nowhere to rest my head. I've got no people that have the ability to receive the level of revelation and insight that I want to give them. So when he came to the earth, there was no individual, no institution that was able to receive his downloads. And that's why he said, I've got so much to give you, but you can't bear it. And you're going to need to be filled with the Holy Ghost because what I'm about to download on you, you're going to need a teacher, a comforter, because it's going to be risk-taking. You're going to be out there. You're going to need someone who's able to stretch you because in your own natural ability, this will go way over your mind. So Jesus created a body called the church. He had nowhere to rest his head, so he creates a body. They had the capacity to receive his mind. And he placed his head on the body. Are you getting this? John loses his head. So said, God, Jesus creates a body and then places his head on the body. The head's being reconnected. In the Bible, there's a law called the law of the first mention. You may have heard of this. So whenever you read in the Bible about a number or a phrase. It gives you insight into how that should be then read for the rest of the Bible. So in other words, the number 13 is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis and it's connected to rebellion. So whenever you read in the Bible the number 13, you go back to where it's first mentioned because it creates the lens for you to read that number throughout the whole Bible. And it's the same for us, that when we are created, very early in our life, there is the law first mentioned by our parents, by our church, by our teachers, and it creates a way that we see the world. You know, if your parents voted liberal, there's a big chance that you'll vote liberal. All right, if your parents followed Richmond, there's a big chance that you'll follow Richmond. If they have this sort of slant on life, if your, if your father is really kind to, to, the, to his daughters and the sons watch that, there's a big chance that when they grow up, they're going to treat women the same way because it's the law of the first mention. What we see is deeply ingrained in our hearts and our minds, and it forms a reasoning Approach to life where we see things a certain way, and and the disciples were like that. They always started with what they didn't have. That was their reasoning process. So Jesus says to them, "Why do you reason?" Because you know he was talking about the about bread in the boat, and they were the 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 yeast of the Pharisees, and they they thought he was talking about not having enough food. And he's just performed a miracle where he's he's turned the fishes and the loaves into this amazing supply. But every time there was a a new circumstance, they went back to to the thought process because it was deeply etched in their life. We always begin with what we don't have. It's a big deal to God about the way that we process and reason. God is interested in the way you think. There's a big difference between getting 10 out of 10 in in a Bible quiz as opposed to knowing the ways of God. There's a lot of people that are religious, amazing geniuses. They can quote the Bible, but it hasn't altered the way they process life and reason. So we become satisfied with good theology rather than a transformed mind. So we know the Bible, we can quote scripture, but our minds haven't been transformed. And and as soon as a crisis comes, we go back to the law first first mentioned. Let's always begin with what we don't have. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The devil wants to conform you. He wants to get you into a holding pattern. He wants to inhabit strongholds in your life. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. He hides in strongholds of our mind that are reasonings that oppose themselves to the knowledge of God that says, you know what? You're sick, everyone gets sick. It's just the way it is. You're poor? Well, join the queue. Everyone struggles with money. And he hides behind reasonings he is hidden away right behind that. And from there, he launches his attack in areas of our life and, and seasons in our life. And we need to be so careful because this renewed mind is where the battle lies. And our thoughts are either going to empower the devil or disempower the devil. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, He said, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but you're mindful of the things of man. And so our mindset either empowers the Lord or empowers the enemy. This is what the scripture's saying. So we can either feed questions and contradictions that empower the devil, or we can feed on the promises of God that empower the Lord in our life and when there are contradictions. And I know what what this is. I've gone through years of believing for breakthrough in certain areas and all I get is contradiction and questions. And I've learned this. You can't feed that or empower the devil because you are empowering a lie. It looks true, but it's not true. And when you empower a lie, you empower the liar. And he comes and says, Look, God's not with you. Look, you, you, you thought you were anointed to make money. Look, you thought you had authority over sickness. Look at this. Look at all these contradictions. Yeah. And that's where you've got to say, either I've got a renewed mind or I've got a theology. Either, you know, I sing the songs, I, I make the cute little sayings, but when the rubber hits the road, will I live out of a renewed mind or will I empower the enemy? That's the question. Here's the thing about the devil, he has no authority in your life. And when I give him my attention, when I begin to utter his words, I'm empowering someone who's not powerful at all. Because this is what he does. He's piggybacking off your authority. Are you getting this? You have all the authority. So when I agree with God and partner with God, there's a yes and amen. And the kingdom of God flows through my authority on earth. When I partner with the lies of the devil... I'm empowering someone that has no authority. He's operating out of my authority. If it's fear, he, he, he then uses that fear and he, and he drives it through my authority to bring an outcome. You're, you're shadow boxing with someone that has no power. Are you getting this? So if it comes to money, he says, you, you're never going to have money. And as soon as I agree with him, I've given him authority in my world and his fear comes through my authority and it drives me into a place that I don't want to be. Whenever you get a promise from God, it's not a promise until it's tested. And you can gauge the size of the promise by the size of the adversity. Did you hear that? The bigger the promise the more the opposition. Oh, I thought, God, you told me that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's normal. You're now entering from a child to a son to a father. God's given you an upgrade of promises. He's given you a son promise or a father promise. And so the size of the promise is equal in the size of the opposition. And we take that as a negative thing. As it's like, God, you gave me a promise and you've taken it away because everything's gone backwards. No, he's validating the promise. The word of the Lord came to Joseph. Psalm 105 said, and it tested him. Mark 4 says that persecution comes because of the word's sake. Because you've taken a seed and you've allowed it to go inside. And as soon as the seed goes inside a person, that's when opposition comes. If the seed's not in you, you won't have opposition. But as soon as the seed goes in you, That's when the opposition comes. So a couple of quick points. We are challenged when it comes to promises, so we become confident in the strength of the promise. Did you hear that? We are challenged, so we become confident in the strength of the promise. So God gives us a promise about finances. And it goes into our heart. And now he wants us to become confident, in the strength of his word. God gave me a promise about six years ago, and it's all hell break loose broke loose when I received that promise into my heart. And through the fights and the battles and the challenges and the one step forward and three steps back and two steps forward, I'm beginning to become confident that when I receive a seed from God, that seed from God is more powerful than every demon in hell. You better believe that. And here's the thing. Once a seed goes inside you, it will attract manifestations of demonic power. I've seen that. I've walked in in certain areas and, and people who are demonized will begin to manifest as I walk past. And it's because I'm carrying a promise inside me and all hell reacts to a man or woman that carries a seed for God why do you think the children of Israel were constantly attacked by the enemy did you you fight like in the old Old testament and God's having to you know slaughter this army and slaughter and it's like God what's the big deal and all these people and see unbelievers, they read that and think, that's crazy. You know, I thought God loved people and, and all these people getting killed in the Old Testament. What they don't understand is this. There is a seed that came from Adam and it's coming down the line that's one day going to be Jesus. Yeah? And that seed's being carried through the line, the genealogy. Why do you think we read the genealogies? They're not there to fill a bit of space like a novel. You know, it's not quite big enough. Let's whack a couple of extra, you know, <laughs> chapters into Fluff it out. No, they're they're there. They're showing you the power of a seed. And that God is protecting this seed. And any enemy that comes against it, out, out. Because the seed is paramount. And it will be protected until the Christ is born. He protects the seed. And when you get a promise inside you that comes from God, you will discover when all hell breaks loose, nothing can take out the seed. Nothing. And when the promise is inside you, you can be battered, you can be kicked, you can go through hell itself like Joseph. But when your hour comes like Joseph, that seed will manifest. It will bear fruit. That's the seed. Because in the kingdom, a little seed like a mustard seed is greater than anything else. Greater than the biggest opposition. Because it's not... It's not the size of the seed, it's the quality of the seed that matters in the kingdom. That's why a little boy's lunch can feed a multitude. You go, I've only got this little seed. If it's from God, it'll take everything out. Yeah. you can to understand that. As soon as you get a word from the Lord, you are bulletproof. Yeah. You can take out the enemy. You can have him done all to stand, because it's there. The seed shall prevail. Yeah. And so when we get this promise from God we are challenged so we are confident in the strength of God's word and I can say going through all these things from my perspective I'm more confident today that once I've got a word from God it's all over Red Rover spiritually speaking number two we are challenged so we are challenged first so we can become confident in the strength of his word and we are challenged secondly so we can become the promise. I shared on this a few weeks ago, that we don't use a promise, we become the promise. You know, if it's a promise about healing, it's not, ah, by your stripes we healed, well, I, I've done that for the day, and then I'll just get on with my life, and as soon as the enemy attacks me, I start regurgitating all this negativity. Or if I've got an issue with overcoming sin, and I quote a scripture about, you know, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I quote that, you know, I do that in my morning devotion and I spend the rest of the day, you know, just regurgitating how I'm always susceptible to sin and, you know, God's angry with me. You don't use a promise, you become a promise. It's got to be in here. The Word becomes flesh You become a living epistle. So when it comes to finances, I have meditated over and over and over again about the hundredfold return until until I start attracting people in my life that give me words about the hundredfold return. When that happens, you know you're becoming a promise. Mark 4 says that the seed is sown in the ground, which is a picture of our heart. And what happens to the seed at the end of the journey? It grows into a plant, then the head forms, and what's inside the head? The same seed that was buried in the ground has now appeared in the outer world. So what was, what was a spiritual act from God that came into my spirit is now manifest in the physical realm. What, what was planted, I have become the promise are you getting that? Yeah. That's why the Word of God is not something we read. It's something we become. This is this making sense? Yeah. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion quotes a couple of scriptures but lives like they don't matter. Following Jesus is we become the Word. So the object's not to read 100 chapters. The object is to read a verse and let it become who you are. That's the object. That's what transformation is about. It's about becoming the word of God. We're challenged so we become the promise. And in the challenge, we, be, we, go, we enter into realms that we're unaware of. And we don't know how to dismantle. So I get a word from the Lord about prosperity and I enter into a realm where I feel like I don't belong. That's right. and, and demonic resistance comes. And it pushes, like, you don't belong here, get out. And I don't know how to dismantle it. I don't know how to break through. So we have got to become more of the promise. I've got to go down deeper. Remember, the sun comes and it, and it tests the seed. It says, you don't belong here. Yeah. And if, if, it, if it retracts, it then shrivels up and goes back to where it came from. But if, it, if, it's, if it's in good ground, if it's been buried deep, that, that persecution will cause us to rise up. Yeah. And so we, we go back and we say, Lord, I'm in a realm that I don't understand. I don't feel like I belong. There's this, this stuff going on. I, I, I don't know how to break through. Give me your wisdom. And we press in again and we go back into that realm. And all of a sudden, we find we belong in a realm that we never belonged before. So whether it's praying for the sick, you pray for someone that's got, you know, cancer, and you pray for them and they drop dead. And it's like, oh, great. And so you go back and say, God, this is your promise. You promised me I'd lay hands on the sick and they would recover. So you've got to contend for that which doesn't want to allow you to come in. You know, I've talked to you about we move things in the spirit. We knock in realms that don't want us to enter. That's what it is. And so we're becoming the promise. And we go back into that realm and we might suffer a couple of blows But as we keep pressing in, we find that we now belong in a realm that we never belonged before. And we understand how to operate in a realm that I didn't before. Now when it comes to finances, I I feel like I can operate in this realm. And and 10 years ago, I had no idea that that realm existed and I couldn't even get into it. So when I talk to people about that realm, Christians, they have got no understanding that that realm exists. They're playing around in the shore and I'm in this realm. And then there are others that I know that are believers and they're, they're even further ahead. And I hear their stories and see what they're doing and it blows my mind. How could I ever do that? You become more and more of the promise, the hundredfold return. We are challenged to become the promise and we are challenged, thirdly, for the sake of enlargement. The moment God speaks to you about finances health, healing, whatever it is, we always initially respond from the heart. Faith begins with surrender. So when God called me to a life of breaking through in finances, I had no clue. All I could say is this. Yes, I, I responded from the heart. So God might speak to you about You know, praying for the sick. And we don't really understand all the implications, but we respond from the heart. We say, yes, Lord. Beware of people that respond first from the mind and not the heart. They're called religious. God wants our heart before our mind. He wants, like Abraham, he said yes, not knowing where he was going. Okay, you've first, got to respond from the heart, from a love relationship and a lordship perspective. I'm saying yes to you, and I have no idea what that means. I don't know what this is, the experience Yes, Lord, I have no idea what the journey is. I don't understand, but I've heard you speak, and because you've said it, I say yes. Amen? Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 3.16 in the Passion says, The moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, say open heart, open it says the veil is lifted and they see. Did you hear that? When you turn to the Lord with an open heart first, then the veil is lifted and then you see. You can't see until you give him your heart. The moment you give him your heart, give him your heart, then he begins to transform the way you think. So when it comes to finances, say, Lord, I give you my heart. I want to learn what it means to be prosperous. I want to learn what it means to be generous. I want to be a resource I don't know what that will mean in my life, but I say yes. And today, that's what God's going to ask you. He's asking, will you give me your heart? Will you say yes, Lord, your way? And the moment you do that, then God begins to renew your mind to see what he sees. Here's what happens. The renewed mind then gives you the boundaries to what your heart has embraced. So my heart embraced following Lord in the realm of finances. And the moment I did that, my mind began to open up the boundaries to where that, so that decision could flow into that. I hope that makes sense. Mark 4 says that seed in the heart then begins to grow into a tree. And as the tree grows, remember, it casts a shade. And that shade is the boundaries of your influence. As I say yes to him, the seed is implanted. That's the first step. We battle, we hold on to that seed in contention. And now that seed begins to grow into a tree and that tree is casting a shadow. So you ever sat under a tree and it creates shade for you. And wherever that shade, that perimeter of the shade is, that belongs to you. And the bigger the tree, the bigger the shade. And the Bible says that the birds of the air come and nest in the branches of the tree. The birds are angels. And what God is saying is that as your mind is renewed, that seed grows into a tree and it casts a boundary in your life and angels inhabit that boundary. And wherever you go, that boundary brings blessing. That's why Peter's shadow could heal the sick. Because he got a breakthrough in the realm of healing. He got a revelation of it. That revelation had grown into a belief system. And that belief system then ushered in all the angels of heaven to operate in the realm of his renewed thinking and healing occurred. Does that make sense? So he could walk down the road... And people would go into his shadow and be instantly healed. Someone else would walk down a road with the same shadow and nobody gets healed. In the same way, somebody can walk into a situation and make a million dollars. Somebody else would walk into it and lose a million dollars. That's how it works in the kingdom. See, if you understand the kingdom, you get the benefits. If a revelation grows in my heart from a seed, it will eventually become a tree if I nurture it and contend for it. That tree will always cast shade. And wherever the shade is, you get breakthrough. Hebrews 11 verse 3. This is another way of putting it. Through faith, the world was framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which appear. Most men and women that operate in kingdom finance, it's really hard to understand how they do it. You can see the results, but it's like you've got to get them alone and over a coffee, and what's the key? What what are you doing? Because you hear them speak, and it doesn't make sense. Through faith, the world was framed by the word of God. The renewed mind becomes the framework for God to come on earth and pitch his tent. So my renewed mind states in the realm of finance. It begins to build or erect a frame for God to come and inhabit and place a canopy over. And we see an aspect of the kingdom. And it may be, I begin to minister to the poor. And people begin to see the goodness of God because there is a physical appearance of the kingdom of God but it's it's framed by my renewed mind. That's why we talk about a fallen system in the world because there's no framework for the kingdom and the enemy runs loose. Didn't we read at the start that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and God comes to establish his world on the chaos of this world and it's a renewed man or woman that comes and erects a framework of God's way of doing life and thinking. And and what it does, it it allows a canopy to come over that and people see a physical manifestation of the kingdom of God. So imagine that in your workplace, in your home, that renewed mind is establishing a framework for God to come and inhabit, to, to lay himself over. That's what he wants. If there's fallen systems in your life, your family, it's because there's not a renewed mind. And my prayer for you today is that as you leave this place, there would be a commitment, to things, to give him your heart and say yes. Whether it's, Lord, I no longer will live under the curse of sin. I choose to be free. I reckon myself dead. Whether it's the realm of sickness, Lord, I'm going to believe from this day that by your stripes we are healed. We may take a few hits. I might have to have an operation here or there or end up taking a Panadol. But, Lord, I'm going to press through. And even when I do that, I'm going to declare that Jesus Christ is my healer. I'm going to press in and press in until I build a framework for divine healing To be who I am. And and, and everywhere I go, people are healed because I built a tree, a belief system that ushers in your kingdom. Or maybe today it's the realm of finance where there's not a lot of evidence that the kingdom of God is at work in your life. There's not a, a lot of evidence of generosity, favor, prosperity. There's just worry and anxiety. Father, today we give you our hearts. We say, Lord, we believe that you came and you died on the cross to renew our minds to your way of thinking, that we're called to be blessed in a blessing. So Lord, today we give you our heart and we ask that you would establish a new way of thinking in our lives. In Jesus' name. And Lord, this day, I curse the spirit of poverty over your people. In Jesus' name. And I just want to very quickly pray for people You may have money today, but if you are bound by poverty, by fear, by the inability to be able to give, by an overwhelming sense of toil and anxiety, just quickly raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. And I'm asking, Lord, for those that have raised their hands, I'm asking for a release of your new creation mindset in their life today. I pray that you would give them a promise that would come into their world that would totally, radically shift them from where they've been to where they should be. We break the spirit of poverty because it is a curse and that curse was paid for at the cross. And I'm asking today, Lord, that you would set them free. And I release over this house today increase in Jesus' name. Just lift up your hands now, everybody. Father, let there come radical increase in their life in the realm of their finances. Teach them the ways of the kingdom. Lord, let promises come into their hearts that just go off in their spirit. Thank you, Lord, for supernatural, surprising upgrades Thank you for money flowing in and through their lives. Thank you for strategies that open doors that no man can shut. Thank you, Father, that that you're causing them to enter into realms that before they felt like they didn't belong in. Lord, I pray, release, increase over their lives in Jesus' name. And we declare, Lord, today that, Lord, our minds are being renewed according to your word in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said amen.